A good evening to you. Welcome to Wednesday's Richie Allen Show. The time is fast approaching five o'clock. In fact, I think it is five o'clock. Nice to be with you, to be with you. Nice to leave me a message during the programme at richieallen.co.uk. That's the website where it says comment live, leave a message. I've got some interesting things to talk about, at least I hope so anyway. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host... Yes, I'm with you until 6 o'clock today. I'll tell you why. It's a shortened version of the show a little bit later on, but only till 6 today. It's enough. I've got an hour's worth of info, I think, that you might find interesting. Uh, Thanks for joining me. Mentioned already, leave a message via the website. Uh, Just a quick bit of housekeeping, I suppose, to use that well-worn cliche there. But uh, you may have heard Jackie Devoy, the journalist and filmmaker, speaking to me on last week's programme. She is the, the woman behind the film A Good Death. That's a question, A Good Death, about midazolam and morphine and how that was given to people in the during the height of the, the COVID scam. Very good film. It was produced by the iconic crew, great guys and gals down there. But Jackie's got a new project. She spoke to me about it on the programme last week. It's a film she's uh, producing. It's called um, Playing God. It's, it's called it's called Playing God. That's the question. And it's a film about democide, right? Medical democide, which is basically death by government policy. So they're crowdfunding the money to make it. Jackie is as 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 honest as the day is long. Good people, good person. And um, they need a few bob, basically. I said I would share the link and the blurb on that, on the website. I've done it. I've, uh, I've done that. I've also made a contribution to it myself. You'll see that if you, if you make a contribution. So it's on the website, richieallen.co.uk. A little bit about playing God, Jackie Devoy's forthcoming production, what it's about and why it is being made. So I recommend you, you get involved if you can. And if you can't, sure, look, you can't, you know. Don't let me, don't let me, um, don't let me say any more about that. So, um, yeah, it's been a strange old week this week. It's been a difficult week, personally a difficult week. I won't get into it. Not me personally, but but family and extended family and, and friends uh, not well dealing with that and uh, one or two other issues. So it's been a bit of a fragmented week. So, so I suppose I better answer a couple of emails on that. Um, no, the, the radio show isn't going anywhere. I have no plans to stop doing the radio show in the immediate future. None. I'll be doing it. Next week, I'm, it's just, they just had one of those weeks, really. Um, David Vance was due to be on with me today and then rescheduled. Did David? It's funny this week. He he was due to be on with me earlier in the week, and I rescheduled him a couple of times. Now he can't do it. He'll be with me tomorrow. He's got some very interesting things to say. Does David about Northern Ireland and the protocol and all of that jazz that you might be hearing about if you're listening to television or watching television news or listening to it at the moment? I'll also have Gareth Ike on the program with me tomorrow, and next week then we're kind of back to normal. 
So no, there's a few things going on, but no, the radio show continues. Hey, listen, there is something that does concern me. There isn't very much I can do about it, but I suppose it's worth mentioning to you. I don't know, maybe you'll have your ideas. But lately, it isn't a new thing, but lately it's kind of ramped up. But certain, certain groups of people are contacting guests who have been on the show uh, or are about to come on the show and trying to warn them off coming on the show or not coming back on again. That isn't new. That's happened a lot in the last uh, two to three years, but it's really ramped up recently. Uh, I'm getting it from a lot of guests who have come on. They're being contacted by groups. Some of them, you, you, I suppose you could call them pro-Zionist groups in the UK and urging them not to come back on again or there will be consequences for them in the media, basically. And so that's going on a lot now and that has increased in recent weeks. Even Marilyn Hawes uh, sent me an email she'd been sent by somebody who um, warned her not to come and speak on the anti-Semitic programme and all of that. So that's going on. I don't think there's very much I can do about that, really. Nothing. Um, other than just mention it. And, and just hope that, you know, these are such important times that it won't, it won't put people off coming on. That they'll, they'll look a little bit closer at the radio show. It's what I say to people when I invite them on. I say, look, come on, if they're, if they're well known, or reasonably well-known or moderately well-known, I say to them, look, you might get some flack if you do. I've had to start doing that. I've been doing it for some time now. And you just hope that because things are so important that um, and because the show is such a reach, that ultimately more people will will ignore that nonsense and will come on uh, this programme and, and talk to us about these things, but it's happening, it's out there, and uh, I thought I'd mention it today, it's happening quite a bit. It's been an interesting few weeks, so it has. So look, um, I want to talk to you about this today. I, I sat around today, I, I, like I said, it's been a strange week. I was due to take today off. I was going to take today off. I'll tell you why later on. But I didn't, because I was absent on Monday, because of the personal problems I mentioned on on Monday. So I said I'd come on and talk today. But I sat around today, as I do, reading the newspapers, listening to radio, watching television, and nothing interested me today. I had one of those days where I couldn't motivate myself to talk about, you know, the rising, uh, the the cost of living crisis, which is exponentially um, kind of growing out of control for people, the energy crisis, Northern Ireland, all of that jazz, I, COVID, I couldn't just get into it. So I sat around today and I thought, well, what will I talk about today, early on? And then I saw an article. It was almost like, it was almost like um, fate. It was almost like, I don't know, somebody was listening to me. It was like circus animals desertion. Yates, I have no inspiration whatsoever. Well, why not write about that? Yeah. Um, I saw an article in the Telegraph today which shocked me, really. It did shock me. I'll read you a couple of paragraphs of it. It goes, Nigel Farage beat Piers Morgan's flagship show for the first time since Talk TV launched amid a battle to win viewers 
from established media brands. Some 58,000 viewers tuned in to watch Morgan's programme on Rupert Murdoch's channel at its peak on Monday evening, compared to 73,600 for Mr Farage on GB News. And that's according to TV ratings compiler Barb. So says the Telegraph, it marks a dramatic decline from the bumper ratings the former Good Morning Britain presenter delivered on his debut night just two weeks prior. So two weeks earlier, when it launched, Talk TV with Piers Morgan in his fancy new studio, uh, he had a big audience because he had an interview with Donald Trump, didn't he? An exclusive with Donald Trump, which had been trailed and teased for a couple of weeks and all sorts of nonsense had been talked about it. You know, that Donald Trump stormed out and all of that. So on the opening night, he had 316,800. Peaking for a while, that was the average audience, peaking for a while at around 400,000. But now, says the Telegraph, 58,000 tuned in to watch him on Monday. And that's down from 61,700 the week before. So it's properly plummeting the ratings for Piers Morgan's programme on Talk TV, which, as The Telegraph rightly points out, is owned by Rupert Murdoch. Somewhat. That's not great, that. And that did surprise me today. Now, keep in mind, it'll have an on-demand audience. You know, people who don't get it live or who choose not to watch it live and later on download it at their convenience. But it's still shockingly low. And it got me thinking pretty hard today. And then I had one of those light bulb moments. For me, it might not be a light bulb moment for anyone else, but I began to think about the consumption of news. Is something happening? Is there a big shift in the way that news is being consumed? Now, you might say, well, obviously there is, Richie. The internet, smartphones, tablets and whatnot. Yes, yes, but is there a major news shift happening? If you go back to the beginning, you don't even need to go back to the beginning, just go back 30 or 40 years, let's say the late 70s, early 1980s. News was broadcast in the 80s and consumed in the 80s pretty much the same way it was when radio and television began broadcasting news bulletins in the 20s and 30s, right, when it took off, right? Not much changed in 50, 60 years right through the 80s. People consumed it the way it had been consumed when it all began. People, mostly men, you probably know this, it was a male thing, it wasn't a female thing. Women didn't really sit down and listen to the news or watch the news on the television. It was his news, yeah? Anybody who studied journalism, even for a few minutes they talk about that. It's basic 101 stuff. That's how it was, right? And rather cardboard-looking presenters would read news and then throw to reporters on location who would send back a report. It was all pretty basic. That's how it was done, right? Um, so it was on to the next story, and then the next story, and after 20 minutes, someone did the sport, and then they finished with the weather. That's how it was, anyway. Think of those presenters. I'm sure if you think back to when you were a boy or a girl, you'll probably remember some of the presenters. I know in the UK... You'll, you'll think of names like Jan Leeming. You'll think of Trevor MacDonald, obviously. In, in Ireland, we had Don Coburn. We had Veer Wynne-Jones. We had Anne Doyle, who was a, a major sensation 
in, in the late 1970s began reading, reading the news for RTE, an attractive woman. Farmers all over the country were going mad uh, with excitement. This is how, you know, this is how innocent the times were. But I remember those presenters. They were fairly bland in appearance. They didn't move. They weren't animated. There were no facial expressions. They read the copy, sometimes went on location, were off to Orla Gearin in Beirut, then back, as I said, sport and weather. That was it. Until the dawn of the internet age and the corporate takeover of the media, which kind of happened at roughly the same time. More or less, right? You had the internet and in that time period, mega conglomerates started to basically buy up the media. Um, All the media, the print media, the broadcast media, everything, everything that is media, magazines, billboards, bus shelter advertising, uh, things like that. Um, And because of that, local news began to slowly disappear. Took about 20 years for for that to, to happen, right? So TV and radio stations bought up by the conglomerates and that brought with it the era of the commentator, which was kind of content that was brought to you by a person with a point of view that started in America. I'll go, I'll go quickly through this because you've heard me talk about this before, although not recently. So Fox News drove that and did so well in terms of ratings that the other major networks copied it. Right, put a loud personality on. 24-hour news channels were now a thing. But they weren't doing many news bulletins. I wonder, was that noticed at the time? I'd love to have a team of researchers to make a documentary about it. I'd love to make a proper film about it. Was it noticed at the time? Were there were opinion pieces popping up in the broadsheet newspapers in the United States? Were people saying, hang on a second... It used to be the case that a man or a woman sat in front of a camera with some papers before autocue and told us some facts that the station had gleaned. Didn't ask us to think about those facts or didn't, didn't try to influence how we thought about those facts. Just gave them the facts and then got off the air. That happened twice a day, sometimes three times a day, one o'clock, six o'clock, nine o'clock. Did anybody notice the change? That when the 24-hour news channels came in, you didn't have news bulletins. You had programmes presented by sometimes pretty loud people with a very definite point of view. Right? No news bulletins. It used to be, here's the news. The President said this at the Oval Office today. Blah, 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 blah. Microsoft is expanding in Asia. Blah, 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 blah. Here's Fred, the sports guy. Here's Susan with the weather. Good night. All of a sudden you had a loud mouth coming on air or loud mouths coming on air and they were sitting on sofas opening shows with their opinions. So all of a sudden it was, welcome to the show. This president isn't fooling anyone, Marty. He's sounding more and more desperate by the day, isn't he? Yes, he is, Bill. Yes, he is. You were getting that all of a sudden. Not the president said this and the Republicans have said this or the Democrats have said this. Now you make up your own mind. That's how it began. And eventually, you got O'Reilly, you got Olbermann, who I think was on MSNBC, you got Sean Hannity, etc. So objective news was dead, if it ever existed. That's another thing I don't quite fully understand because I was too young. We've heard from great writers like John Waters on this programme. We've heard from other journalists in the last two years 
who have said very, I think, profoundly that, you know, they didn't know back then, but now they wonder where they, how, yeah, how were they hoodwinked? Were they hoodwinked into believing that everything was on the level back in the 80s and 90s when they were writing for the Irish Times, the Irish Independent, the Times of London, um, the New York Times. Now they're wondering, some of these journalists, um, what, what was really going on then? What was happening? How come I didn't notice that something wasn't right? Uh, and that's very interesting. So the world's, the world's media, uh, including print, which means newspapers, magazines, etc., billboards, as I've already mentioned, um, owned by four or five, six massive corporations. You can name them now. All right. We've got Sony Group now, Paramount Global, Bertelsmann, News Corp, Comcast, Time Warner, the Walt Disney Company. Some of these have changed their names now. And there have been mergers and acquisitions. But basically, you could say hundreds and hundreds of thousands of independent-ish news outlets again, news through TV, radio or print, were all of a sudden owned by about six companies. And their names have changed, but it still stands true. A tiny number of people own broadcast and print. So reporting was replaced by ranting and news was replaced by commentary. And that's how it's been now. I know, I, I can hear you. What's your point, Paddy? You've told us this once or twice over the years. But something else is going on now. And I don't necessarily think it's got anything to do with the last two or three years. I think it's been happening for some years. And it's only begun to kind of dawn on me. Are we kind of bearing witness to the next big change in the way that people consume the news? Are we seeing a kind of a rejection of what has happened in the last 20 to 25 years. Now, don't think for a minute that I think this is positive. I, I don't. It's not good, this. I'll explain why in a moment, or at least why I think why. Are we seeing some sort of rejection of what we've been subjected to in the last 15 to 20 years? Are we seeing the rejection of it now? Because those numbers for Morgan and Farage are terrible. The numbers for Sky News are deplorable. I've been looking them up. Sky News Breakfast with Kay Burley pulls in less than 100,000 viewers in the morning. It's diabolical on Good Morning Britain. The one that does, you know, somewhat respectful numbers would be BBC Breakfast, which is several hundred thousand, but that's all really. Those Farage and Morgan numbers are diabolical, really. They really are. The newspapers are collapsing. I think the scamdemic has added to the problems for newspapers. I was thinking about this today, despite the fact that uh, the print media sucked off the government teeth basically for two years and took blood advertising money from governments uh, to push the COVID narrative through their pages. But newspapers are collapsing. And I, I was thinking about this today especially, but it's been on my mind for some weeks. Are we moving into a new era? I think we might be. And... I'm going to, I'm not going to coin a phrase. <laughs> I don't do coining phrases very well, but I'm going to put a name on it. Is this the era of participation? 
Has there been a shift, or are we in the middle of a shift, away from consuming the news to participating in it? In a number of ways. There are many ways. Um, One way is through tweeting at public figures, uh, or taking them on on Facebook or on Instagram, or retweeting the messages of politicians, of news commentators, or celebrities that you might approve of. And of course, podcasting and video blogging, which we don't use the term video blogging anymore, podcasting. They reckon hundreds of millions of people upload a podcast where they emote on whatever issues they want to emote on in that given moment. Some of them to 20 followers, some of them to 100 followers, some to 10,000 followers. And some have done incredibly well and they have millions of followers. Now it's hundreds of millions of people uploading their thoughts. That's leaving aside people who upload on specialised subjects like music or construction or cooking or whatever, right? Hundreds of millions of people. That's a staggering thing. I've not got an exact number, but I've asked a few people and they reckon, yeah, a couple of hundred million people are uploading their thoughts on the issues of the day, any issue, political or social, to followers, whether they're lots or whether they're not so many participation on some level subconsciously or otherwise people are moving away from consuming the news to participating in it and somehow amplifying it becoming immersed in it basically it's one for anthropologists psychologists sociologists to study for sure is it a natural thing or is it by design you know before People were podcasting. When the, when the internet was very young, people went on forums on the internet. I've often talked about this with my great pal Hayden Hewitt. Folks didn't have um, the option to talk about things in real time with others before the advent of the internet. Now all of a sudden they did. They had forums. Forums were massive. All of a sudden you could go on, you could type, you could have real-time chats with people you agreed with or with whom you disagreed with. And of course, as time moved on, it was less chatting with people with whom you disagreed with and it was more engaging with people who see things or saw things as you did or do. We've moved on from forums now. We have TikTok. We have Instagram. People stop what they're doing, turn the camera on themselves and say their piece and then upload it to social media and get it tweeted and retweeted and liked and then they check back for likes. You with me? I remarked to a presenter pal some years ago. I said, Jesus, everyone and his sister is doing a podcast show now. And my mate said to me, are you a snob or are you jealous, Richie? I said, I'm neither. Neither. I said, it's saturation. And quality always gets lost. My friend disagreed with me and said, no. No, the cream always rises to the top. You know, did I favour regulation? I said, absolutely not. I don't favour regulation. I didn't favour it then. I don't favour it now. Nobody should be prevented from posting their podcast online, no matter how poorly put together it might be. 
But what's happening with millions of people and an increasing number of children taking to social media, to uh, using their devices to have an input, to have a say on something, whether it's on popular culture or whether it's on politics. And, and I think that's, that's an era we're moving into now, participation. And I don't know where that's come from. I don't know if, I don't know if, I hate to keep coming back to the N word, but narcissism plays some part in that. You know, this move to, um, well, I'm not going to confine myself to listening to watching or reading the thoughts of others. I'm going to get involved and I'm going to have my say. And as I do that, I'm going to spend much less time listening to, watching or reading the opinions of others. Am I talking through my backside here? Because I might very well be. You'll, you'll, you'll surely message me and say, Andy Warhol once said that everybody will be famous for 15 minutes in the future and all of that. <laughs> but you know, if I'm right that we, we're moving away from consuming into an era of participation, which at one time we would have called, you know, we would have spoken about listeners on radio. We would have, we would have put them into two categories, basically. Active listeners and inactive listeners. Passive listeners. So your active listener will participate. Your active listener will phone the radio station and will attempt to get on air to have his or her say. The active listener will participate in every competition. Regardless of how garbage the CD on offer is, they will ring up and participate or they will, back in the old days, send a postcard in. The majority are passive listeners who just listen. Is that, are we seeing a big shift in that now? to the era of participation. And if I'm right, is that in itself only a holding pattern? Do you understand? The participation era, a holding pattern, um, where we'll wait until we're taken to the next step, where only trusted news sources will be allowed to broadcast on any platform whether it be on DAB radio, digital, whether it be on the internet. A lot of talk about that this week, trusted sources. You know, I remember saying some years ago, somebody said to me on one of the phone-ins, you must be really annoyed, Richie, that you've been on Twitter for a few years and you have a lot of followers and you don't have a blue tick. Somebody did say that to me on one of the phone-ins. That's censorship, you don't have a blue tick. Twitter said at the time, well, the blue tick is to prevent fake accounts. So we give Mariah Carey or Bill Clinton or Barack Obama a blue tick so that we can differentiate between the real Bill Clinton on Twitter and the parody accounts of which there are many. Right, so that made sense. But I knew it was something entirely different. I said it at the time that the blue ticks, the real purpose for those would be when they move into an era of all-out censorship and into an era of trusted voices or verified voices, those who you can trust to tell you the truth. I think a Twitter executive was um, 
was grabbed or, or a soundbite was grabbed. A Twitter executive said on a Zoom meeting, I, I saw this online the other day, that they want to introduce a feature whereby trusted people, not just trusted people working for Twitter now, but other trusted people in the online community should be able to edit the tweets of people on Twitter, edit their tweets or add context to them. Now, they obviously don't mean the man or the woman with 20 followers or 500 followers, but they mean they mean to allow trusted people to edit the tweets of or add context to the tweets of people with massive followings, maybe who had previously been verified. So I wonder, I've been thinking long and hard about that today. I'm going to read some of your comments in a moment and then I'm going to run through as quick as I can the top stories of the day. But it's a major shift in the relationship of the person with the media away from consumption and and that was consumption of you know that had moved away from your evening news at nine o'clock at six o'clock at one o'clock that had moved away from that into you know the 90s the late 90s the 2000s into listening to um your commentator of choice and exclusively we've moved on from that now i think and i think those dreadful numbers being posted by people who do have millions of followers on social media and the habits of people, the behaviour of people and how they are participating in the story, putting themselves in the story through their podcasts and their TikTok videos and all of that. I think we've moved away from consumerism into participation and that's not good. And I, I think that might be deliberate you know, a kind of a holding pattern, as it were, before the censorship on steroids that is undoubtedly on the way. It's uh, exactly half past five. This is the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live from Salford, as always, with me, your Richie Allen, and with you till six o'clock this evening. It's richieallen.co.uk. Comment live. Love to get your thoughts on it. Share them with me, please. After a pretty miserable start to the day, it's turned pretty warm. In fact, it's pretty, pretty warm this afternoon, this evening. Uh, this is music from Dario G. Back with much more on your Richie Allen show after this. The genius of Dario G and Vanessa Quinones, that's voices on the Richie Allen show. Not all the great composers came from the 16th, 15th, 17th, and 18th centuries. I love me a bit of Dario G. This is the Richie Allen Show from a sweltering studio. I didn't turn the aircon on. I won't do it now. It's very warm uh, today. Look, I don't ordinarily come on and talk about stuff like that unless I've given it an awful lot of thought, you know. When I've done my, I suppose, um, tutorials on the media in the past, I put an awful lot of thought into it. I've not thought a hell of a lot about this for broadcast, but something is definitely going on. I'm reading out your comments. Uh, I'm reading your comments and some very interesting ones. Let me read them now. David, uh, David says, even you're right, Richie, as we are entering the metaverse, this is Facebook's virtual world, children over the age of five cannot put a device down. Most children are androids 
or iKids nowadays, says David. Thank God we can remember life before the internet when we used to play outside and explore and not listen to a device for what to do next or who influences who. Thanks, David. Paul says, I've been thinking about the social media presence of celebrities for a long time now. They've never been so readily accessible and it's destroyed the mystique as it had previously shrouded them. Your take on why this has become the 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 norm really makes sense, says Paul. I'm glad, Paul, so I'm not sure I've made sense to myself, really. But we're getting there, aren't we? We're getting to something, I think. Just look how most of the blue ticks have fallen over themselves to pimp vaccines or woke causes. And he concludes by saying he thinks I'm, I'm on to something. Isabel says, Richie, if the number of news viewers and readers has gone down so drastically, news media corporations must have seen a huge decrease in advertisement revenue. Yes, they have. No doubt it's one of the reasons papers are going belly up all over the world. Isabel asks, where does that leave them? Well, I guess they are now fully dependent on donations and support from governments and corporations, hence the inability to provide balanced information. They have no choice but to become propaganda tools if they want to survive. Now, that's a point well made. We saw that during the two and a half years of the COVID nonsense. You know, papers were very, very gracious, grateful uh, to receive those COVID advertising dollars. No doubt about that. And I believe that is directly connected to what I was speaking with Mark Sharman about last night, the former ITV executive, Channel 4, Sky News, directly connected to the newspaper's abject failure to take apart the COVID scam. Now, there were one or two exceptions. From time to time, the Telegraph ran a story. From time to time, the Times ran a story. But it was sparse stuff, really. It's good, um, Isabel, that. Pod says, great thoughts, Richie. They're not great thoughts. It's, it's something that I should have spent a good deal more time formulating before bringing it to you. But something is going on. It, it's really occurred to me. Consumer, consuming the media, we're out of that paradigm now and we're into participation. Everybody is participating. Now, not everybody. But most people are participating. Most people are blogging. They're not blogging anymore. That is so 19, that, that is so noughties. No, no, they are not blogging. They are YouTubing. They are going on BitChute. They're going on the other video hosting platforms. They are going on TikTok and Instagram and sharing their opinions on the stories of the day. And as that's going on, Viewing figures are plummeting. And it's been happening for a while. I've looked into it. I'll, I'll do this sometime. I'll do a video presentation sometime. I'll get Hayden involved in this. But in, in, in recent years, even before COVID, viewing figures for news programmes on the traditional platforms, television, radio, going down through the floor. And it makes my boast last year that the podcast for the Richie Allen show was competing with, in terms of numbers, with LBC and talk radio. It makes that boast less impressive now, really. I'm not being modest here. It really does. People are turning away from it. And the thing I suppose 
that depressed me was you might for a minute think, well, that's a great thing. They're rejecting it. Finally, they are turning away in their droves from the lies. But they're not. They're participating. Somehow, they want to be it. They want to do it. They want to be part of it. Which years ago, we would have thought of as an amazing positive. What a positive if people get so engaged in what's going on in their daily lives that they become their own media. Again, I probably should have not done this today and thought about it and come back and open the phone lines and we could have had a proper chinwag about this. We would have thought of it as a great thing. They're what? They're doing their own radio, are they? They're, 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 they're making their own programmes. Great, they're participating in democracy. But that's not what's going on. And, and that's what I mean by participation. It's probably, it's probably a better way of putting it. But the participation itself is also part of the ensnarement. Don't think there's such a word as ensnarement. The snaring of people. Get him in. Get him involved. And ultimately then hold a sword of Damocles above them. Get them so invested in using Instagram and TikTok to tell people what's really going on. Because everybody knows what's really going on. You know, the rise of identity politics has fueled this as well. Don't um, discount that. That's a big deal, that. You know, the, how identity politics ultimately filtered people into smaller and smaller and more numerous groups, identities. With each identity group ultimately seeing itself as, you know, um, extra special that's a bad way of putting it. Uh, ultra important and ultimately each identity group seeing itself as a target for others to attack over the nature of the identity. I butchered that, but you get what I'm saying, right? And that fuels this as well, all of this stuff that's going on. Really, really interesting. Pod says, Richie, great thoughts, but also consider that it took a studio the size of a building at the BBC to broadcast to the nation. Now this can be done in the palm of your hand to be edited and uploaded to the world. It's easier than writing this down and it allows everyone to hear this rather than having the time to actually read it. That's right, Pod, but my point is they're not consuming it. You're making the point that it's far easier to create content now than ever before. It is. And it's far easier now for ITN, for ITV, for Sky, for Channel 4, for the BBC. Far easier to create content. You're right. But people are turning away from it. They're not consuming it. Staggering numbers, those, for Sky and for Morgan and, and, and for Nigel Farage, you know. Look, I remember learning how to edit Unreal to Reel. I'm only 47, but I was taught how to do that. You know, quarter-inch tape. You listen to the interview. You mark with a little bit of white chalk where you want to cut. You cut the tape. You then rejoin the tape using special um, tape, as it happens. And when mini-disc players were introduced, we thought that was 
Well, we thought that the world had ended when a mini disc player was given to you because you could go into a building and you could interview a man or a woman or you could go on the street and you could do a vox pop and then get into a taxi. And while you were in the taxi, you could edit the interview using the buttons on your mini disc player. And then when you got back to the studio, you put the little cartridge into a mini disc playing machine. And that was amazing. We never saw this coming. I've got the latest iPhone. Why do you have the latest iPhone? Because every two years, I spend a fortune. Because of the radio show, I spend a fortune on my mobile phone. I don't have a landline. So I've got a contract. It's kind of it's an expensive contract, right? So because of that, every two years, they give me the latest iPhone or Samsung phone. It changes as good as the rest. I used to use Samsung. These days I have iPhone. I've only just figured out how to use it. And I mean that. It's a bit complicated when you've used an Android phone for a long time. But with the iPhone... It's astonishing what you can do with it. You can broadcast through it. And that's not a new thing. We did that. I remember for for shits and giggles in 2011, I broadcast a live radio show, sounding beautiful, by the way, from the pool at the Kempinski Hotel in Marbella through an iPhone. Astonishing. Now, now... I could do a show on an iPhone. I can go out and interview people with an iPhone. I can film with it and edit the film very simply. In real time even. Real time editing. I can do it. It's unbelievable. We never saw that coming. So it's much easier to do it. But that isn't benefiting the legacy media at all. Well, it is in terms of it isn't as expensive for them. It's much less expensive now for the old media to create content than it ever was. But it isn't helping them. Not with numbers. People are not consuming, they're participating. That's how I see it. And uh, it's fascinating to me. Really, really shocked to see those numbers. I mean, that's garbage, that. You know... To do 71,000 last week, to be down to 60-odd thousand this week, that's abysmal stuff, that. That's really abysmal. I mean, before the tune-in stuff, and, you know, I've put this stuff online for people to see before. I would have 200,000 listeners listening live at 6 o'clock, sometimes up to 300,000 listening live at 6 o'clock. I mean, back in the day when, when I started... On this programme back in 2014, when, when we were doing 40, 50,000 live listeners, that was astonishing. That was incredible. 40,000, wow. Not for my ego now. You, you do know me. We've known each other too long. Not for my ego, but for the possibilities of it. Like, I used to say, Jesus, I used to talk to David Icke. I would show him the metadata. Look at that. He'd be like, wow. Wow, imagine if we keep at it. Eventually you might get a million. It might make some difference. More people might hear some of these really interesting men and women. But of course it hasn't worked out like that. They were never going to allow it, were they, ultimately? So, yeah, there's different millions on Piers Morgan's show, Talk TV. Don't imagine they haven't. They have spent millions on it. On advertising it, on building that set, they've spent a fortune. And the guy's pulling in 
audiences that are decreasing week on week. And it won't get any better because people are losing interest in watching and listening to news. But that isn't necessarily a good thing. I could have said that in 30 seconds. I didn't have to waste the last 45 minutes. But yeah, I am absolutely gripped by it. What is going on? I mean, the fact that a couple of hundred million, and that's a conservative estimate, people are actively imagining that they are journalists. And listen, this isn't snobbery. Again, I'm, I have no axe to grind with them. None. None. And I don't sneer at them. And I don't laugh at, at, you know, at, at their follower numbers or any of that. I don't do that. But it, it still amazes me that hundreds of millions of people would see themselves as important voices. Right? Now, again, you're going to say, you snobby bastard. No, no, because I don't see myself as an important voice. I'm a platform. This thing I'm doing now is a platform for people who do know stuff. I know fake all, as you well know. And that's where I mentioned narcissism earlier on. How has this happened? You know? There was a time when you would be terrified about putting anything on the media unless you were really well briefed and you had researched it like a motherfucker, right? Excuse my language. You wouldn't dream of it. You wouldn't dream of going to air to express an opinion or to talk about something unless you knew damn well what it was you were talking about. Well, there's no such thing these days. Hundreds of millions of people take to social media, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, to stream their, most of the time, very ill-informed opinions on whichever subject they're talking about. That's amazing. It, it really is. And it's not a good thing. But again, I, I say what I said earlier on. I never favoured regulation and I don't favour it today. Free speech means free speech. I'm a free speech absolutist. I really am. And what I mean by that is now, before you call me a hypocrite, because you'll say, oh, you booted some guy off your website last week because he said something about the Holocaust. It wasn't last week. It was several weeks ago. Well, he can go and do that on his own platform. I'm a free speech absolutist. I support his right to go and talk bollocks about the Holocaust on his own website if he chooses. I wouldn't have him banned. I wouldn't have him kicked off the internet, even though I disagree with him. I'm a free speech absolutist. So, yes, let hundreds of millions of people make billions of programmes a week, no matter how shit they are and how ill-informed they are, let them do it. That's their human right. But what does it mean? What does it mean for... Dare I say, does it sound like a cliche, for the struggle we find ourselves in to alert people to the fact that something is very wrong with the world we live in and that it has been taken down a very, very dark road. What does that mean? What's happening? They're not consuming the media. They are becoming participants in it. They are participating in it, in the discussions. They're very loudly, very definitely, very determinedly, very determinedly saying what they think 
is right about any number of things. And it's not generally about the important stuff. You'll generally find most of these people are online arguing about the cost of living crisis. They're arguing about Beergate. They're arguing about Boris Johnson and whether he's a wife abuser or not and whether he should have resigned or not over the party gate and all that shit. That's what they're doing. That's what they're participating in. They're not participating in the discussions we have on programmes like this. They're not. They're enabling the agenda somehow. Um, and that's fascinating to me. Claire says, Richie, my mother is 70. She asked me what this Twitter thing is. It sounds like a gossipy thing, she said. How can anyone be taken seriously like politicians using something like that? She isn't wrong, uh, says Claire. Thanks so much for that, Claire. Bruce says it's all about niche information now, including news. So everyone is on YouTube devouring their subject of choice. Experts on one subject, ignorant of the others. Except us, of course, uh, says Bruce. Gaz says, I think we're entering a time where people don't actually care about the news at all. People just follow like sheep and have no interest in any kind of questioning or any kind of journalism. And that's uh, Gaz. Vicky says, that's not a new thing. Around 10 years ago, I worked in a job that had another 20-plus employees, mainly women. None of them read a newspaper or watched the news. They thought that I was weird because I did and I had opinions. It's a flip now because uh, I don't watch mainstream anything, says Vicky. A lot of truth in that. Those decreasing viewing numbers have been going on for some years. It's not just, you know, a very recent thing at all, but it's getting worse. The print media were the first to feel it, weren't they? The Guardian went out of print. The Independent went out of print. Other newspapers around the world have gone out of print. Now the TV, uh, particularly the TV programmes, because they're expensive to create. Not as expensive, but they're still expensive. You need a lot of people to put on a television show. You need a crew in the gallery. You need floor managers. You don't need camera people anymore, sadly, but you, you need sound people. So so the, the the TV media hasn't didn't feel it as quickly as the print media did, but I think they're feeling it now. Could it be that it's part of the plan to get us all on the internet permanently? Could it be part of that agenda? You know? To get us away from televisions to get us away from radios. That might sound complete bullshit, that. Because the idiot box has been such a tool in their box, hasn't it, for generations, in terms of how it's manipulated and programmed people. But maybe it's time up for the telly now. Maybe they're moving people away from the telly. And even from the radio. Well, we know they're moving people away from the radio. I get, not so much now, but I used to get 100 emails a month. No exaggeration. Oh, everybody else does uh, 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 video streams on YouTube. Why don't you? And I say it's radio. Oh, uh, some of your competitors. I don't have any competitors. I don't compete with anybody. There are some excellent people making really good podcasts and shows. I'm not competing with them. They're asking the same questions as me. They're not competitors. All right, yeah, well, well at least I can watch them. Well, I don't want to be watched. I prefer radio. People tend to pick up more and tend to absorb more when listening to content than they do 
when they watch it and listen to it. This is a fact. I've explained this before in other programmes. I've actually I've had um, evidence to back that up. I don't have it to hand now. Why do you think BBC Radio 5 Live? Why do you think LBC Radio? Why do you think Talk Radio turns to Talk TV? Why do you think they're all streaming now and chopping up little segments and putting them on YouTube? Because radio is being destroyed. The whole concept of it. An intimate conversation between me and you. Nothing in the way of it. Think of how we consume radio. We don't consume radio in groups. It's a one-to-one thing. I'm speaking to you. You're listening to me. You might be typing something to me. But we're having a conversation. That was meant for the chop. They went after that. There's no real radio now. People are watching Julia Hartley Brewer on their phones. Those that do. O'Brien on LBC, Nick Ferrari. On their phones. Watching it through Twitter. That's not radio, that's television. They say, it's a radio station. Yeah, okay, there are people still driving around. While they're still allowed to drive. In cars. Who listen via DAB Digital Radio in Cars. Not for too long, though. So, yeah, get them all online. Get them participating. Be much easier then to censor, not what they see, but to censor them. Interesting times, interesting times. Listen, I'm taking my leave of you today. I said I'd tell you why. Wasn't planning on working today, but because I didn't work on Monday, um, I'm going to a football match this evening. And I was going to take a day off for that. I booked the tickets weeks ago. I'm going to see the FA Youth Cup final at Old Trafford with uh, with a good pal of mine. I'm back with you tomorrow for a full two-hour programme with uh, two excellent guests. David Vance will be with me tomorrow and Gareth Syke will be with me. It's been a little bit fragmented this week, as I said, but I've had things going on and it hasn't been easy for me this week, but I'm not getting into that. That's personal stuff. But um, I am back with you tomorrow at five, and the next week we're back to normal, okay? We might explore this issue in greater depth than when I've had more of a chance to think harder about it. But um, I think it's interesting in any case. Speak tomorrow. Going to leave you with an old Elton John tune. So you enjoy the rest of your Wednesday evening. Take care of yourselves and one another. It's bye from your BBG. Bye now. <laughs>